How many of you enjoyed the worship and you could sense the presence of God? So, so now, here's an important truth. Pastor, why do you spend so much time talking about the grace of God? Because I want you to be able to access that level of the presence of God anytime. Not just at church and not just when you feel like everything's going right in your life. The Bible says you're supposed to come boldly before the throne of grace in a time of need. The time of need is when you don't feel like you deserve to go there. And what you've got to understand, I, I, love, I love revival atmospheres and I love the presence of God, the manifest presence of God. But many times people get in those atmospheres and they think that, that one, that that's the only place it can happen. And then two, they think that if they've screwed something up that they can't participate. And, and that's far from the truth. And once you access once you realize that because of grace you can access the presence of God anytime you want, you can have personal revival anytime you want. And I've had lots of personal revival in my basement, thank God, with no worship team. I'm thankful for the worship team because they help us so much. But, but you can do it on your, you know, on your own, in your, in your home and stuff. You can access the grace of God and the presence of God anytime. Okay, so today I wanted to finish up this series about uh, grace, and then we're going to do something kind of practical. I think about how to pray for people and stuff. Um, but I wanted to try to deal, I've been dealing with a bunch of difficult questions, and I've been sort of saying some stuff that has implications about this issue. And so I wanted to, to talk to you about it. And the, the question that we want to deal with today is the question, can Christians lose their salvation. Now this is obviously a really serious question that stresses people out and as always my goal is to help you not stress out as much and, and understand what the scripture says. I'm going to tell you my opinion. Andrew Womack always says that opinions are like noses. Everyone has one and it probably has a couple holes in it. So I've listened to innumerable sermons about this issue. I've studied it. I've read church history about it. I was going to go through a whole bunch of church history, theological history with you, because I think it's really interesting, but then it was just eating up the entire sermon, and uh, I didn't want to make this a two-parter, really, so I'm going to give you the short version of that, and then we'll just get to the, to the scripture. But uh, if you don't agree with me about this, hey, it's not a big deal. I love you. We're all Christians. It's, you know, but I'm going to tell you what I think, okay? Because people ask me this question, and I feel like I ought to address it. So there's great teachers that, that are on different sides of this. I'm just going to tell you the, the, one, the, the one view that I think is, is most damaging, okay? And, and that I would encourage you not to embrace. But anyway... Um, for the first 1,500 years of, of church history, particularly for the first 300 years, the church uh, faced a ton of persecution because of the Roman Empire. Uh, under Nero especially, there were, Christians were being slaughtered. It was really bad. And so in a lot of the early church writings, like in Tertullian and stuff, I was reading some of his comments, 
there's a lot of statements about the danger of falling away. And this, it would seem to do, have to do with the, the climate of the day, which is that um, p- people were being killed for their faith. It was a really serious deal. And so there's lots of warnings in early church literature about the potential that you can fall away. And this was the prevailing view. There, were some, there was a guy named Origen that, that was like the first universalist. And so universalism is if you believe that everybody ends up in heaven regardless. So if, you, if you're Origen, you don't stress about losing your salvation because everybody ends up in heaven eventually anyway. But, but, the, but the majority of, of the church for 1,500 years um, believed that you could uh, fall away. And so the Catholic view was that you, when you get water baptized, you come into the church and you in a, what's called a state of grace. And from that state of grace, uh, you want to participate in the church and, and stuff, but if you commit what's called a mortal sin, which is like a really bad sin, like, like adultery or, or murder or something like that, then, then you would no longer be in a state of grace, and you would, if you died in that state, you would go to hell. And so in Catholic thinking, there's a lot of Christians in hell. In fact, uh, uh, anybody heard of Dante's Inferno, the poem? Okay, so I had to read part of that in college. And in Dante's Inferno, he's a, he's a Roman Catholic, and so he has that perspective. And this guy Virgil is taking Dante on a tour of hell and, and all the different tortures and stuff. It's, it's, you know, it's unsettling. But there's a couple popes in there <laughs> in hell. And part of it's because it's political commentary, and he didn't like those popes, and so he put them, he put them in hell, you know. So he also put a bunch of other people he didn't like in hell, and uh, and so. But it shows you, you know, if the pope can go to hell in Catholic theology, then anybody can, right? And so, uh, if if a Christian commits sin, he or she commits immortal sin or any kind of sin, actually, you must be absolved through the sacrament of penance. And so that's when you go to the priest and you confess your sin, and then they give you some kind of penance. And if you do that, then you're back in a state of grace. Uh, If you die with some venial sin, which is not mortal sin, it's like not as bad a sin, then you go to purgatory until that's purged out of you, and then you can go to heaven. So in Catholicism, there's very much this possibility that Christians could go to hell, and there's a potential of sort of bouncing back and forth between a state of grace and not a state of grace, and so it's um, rather unsettling, actually. Um, after, after that, in 1517, we had the Protestant Reformation, and Luther looked at Catholic theology and what was going on, and he, he felt like they had strayed into legalism, and he read Romans 4 and really 4 through 8, and he he discerned that we're saved by grace through faith. And he said, uh, faith alone, grace alone. So it's not your works, it's not your human efforts that save you, it's, it's God's grace. And then faith is basically just you allowing God to save you. It's you believing God. So uh, after Luther, though, a man named John Calvin became the most important theologian in, in that Reformed tradition. And he went so far as to think that, that salvation is totally an act of God and that humanity plays no part. You, can't, you don't even choose to accept Jesus. And so in Calvinist thinking, what happens is God sovereignly chooses some people, not all people, to, that are called the elect, 
and he gives them faith to believe him. And so if, if that's what you think, then it, it logically makes sense that those people then would persevere because it's, it's God's choice, it's not ours. And so in, in Calvinism, you have what's called the perseverance of the saints. And so the Calvinist answer to the question, can Christians lose their salvation? Their answer is no. And the way they deal with people that apparently lose their faith, it's like they're in church and then they left or whatever uh, and went and believed something else. Uh, the way they deal with that is they say, well, their, their faith wasn't ever actually genuine. Because if it was, if it was real saving faith, you never lose it. So that's kind of how that developed. So you understand, over here on the, the one side, we've got kind of an extreme view where, where sin, and we're being saved, lost, saved, lost, saved, lost. And then over here, we've got what I would consider maybe another extreme view, which is that, you're, if, that you have no choice, basically. And if you're saved, you're saved. But if you're not, you're, you're toast. Okay? So a guy named uh, Arminius, later, he came up with another view, and his view that God saves by, is that God saves by grace, but that humans have to respond by faith, and that they have to choose to accept the free gift of salvation, and that God actually assists people to do this through something called prevenient grace, or grace that goes before. And Titus 2.11, I think, says that. It says, the grace of God has appeared to all men teaching us that we should un deny ungodly lust and, and, and so forth. So I believe there's an aspect of God's grace where God gives grace to everybody and he gives us, he, he heals our will enough that you can choose Jesus. Um, that's important because of a guy named Pelagius, but I don't have time to talk about that. So anyway... Letter B, because people can make a choice to accept Jesus in Arminianism, they also can choose to reject him later. Okay, so the question, can a true Christian renounce their faith and become apostate? Catholics and Arminians say yes, Calvinists says no. But what's the scripture say? That's the most important thing, right? So let's read a whole bunch of scripture real quickly and then I'll talk to you. Look at Philippians 1 verse 6 says this, Being confident of this very thing, that he which has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of the Lord Jesus. So that says there that, that salvation began as a good work in you and that God is going to, to complete it. So that would seem to indicate that you, you can't lose your salvation. Then John 10 verse 28 says, and I give to them eternal life, and they shall never perish. The Amplified says it this way, I give unto them eternal life, and they will never lose it. Neither can any man pluck them out of my hand. So praise God for that. Now let's look at Romans, verse 8. We're just doing a whole bunch of scripture real quick here. Romans 8, 35-39 says, what shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we're killed all day long and are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
So that's really encouraging. I mean, that's a list of a lot of stuff. And none of that, none of that stuff's going to separate us from the love of God. Thank God. So God is, is protecting us and keeping us. Jude says this. Let's read that one real quickly. Jude uh, 1.24 says... Now to him that is able to keep you from falling and present you faultless to the presence or in the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Everybody see that? So God is able to keep you from falling. So on the one hand, we have a bunch of scriptures that say that God is, is preserving you. He's keeping you until the day of salvation. He's uh, working on your behalf. And, and so it doesn't appear from those scriptures that you can uh, lose or renounce your salvation. But we have another set of scriptures that we can't ignore. And so let's go look at those. Colossians. So we try to balance everything. Ephesians, Colossians. So Colossians 1, verse 21 through 23 says... And you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. Thank God, you're reconciled unto God. In the body of his flesh through death to preserve you, or to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. So those are all really encouraging, but you can't stop there. You've got to read the next verse, which says, If you continue in the faith, grounded and settled. So it's, it seems that there's a contingency there that, it, that you need to keep believing in God. Let's look at Hebrews 2. <clears throat> Hebrews 2, verse 1 through 3. Therefore we ought to give more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast in every transgression and disobedience, received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which was at first began to be preached and spoken of by the Lord? So it says you don't want to let it slip or, or drift by you. Um, Hebrews 10, verse 39 says, We are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but unto them who believe to the saving of the soul. So he's making a prophetic statement. He's saying we don't believe that we're going to draw back to perdition, but it does seem to indicate that it's possible. And then lastly, First uh, Timothy, just in the interest of time, First Timothy 1, excuse me, First Timothy 4, 1, says, Now the Spirit speaks expressly that in the last time some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. So if, if you take a Calvinist reading of this, you would say that that means that there are some people that, that they pretend to have faith or they think they have faith, but, but they don't really, and then those people will depart. But it's hard for me to see that in the Scripture. It, it, it basically just says that some people are going to depart, and they have faith, but then they're going to depart uh, the faith. Okay, so it seems like those two bodies of Scripture are difficult to reconcile. Everybody acknowledge that? And so this is why you've got, uh, you know, one set of people over here, like in, in extreme Arminianism, I, I don't like it very much because it's, 
it's any time you com commit any kind of sin at all, people are afraid that they're on their way to hell. And, and you just, you're starting at ground zero every time you screw something up. And a lot of people are using, uh, like, 1 John 1.9. I've done a whole sermon on 1 John 1.9. You can get on the website or email me if you can't find it. I can get it to you. But I don't believe that was written to Christians. I believe it was written to people that don't know Jesus and that once they accept Jesus and confess their sin, then all their sins forgiven. Um, if, if every time you sin, you've got to confess it perfectly, in my opinion, that's just a reversion back to Catholicism. It's just, it's just that you've replaced the priest with God, but you're still doing a, you're still doing a ritual to try to get yourself back into a state of grace. And so I don't believe that salvation is contingent upon my works or my ability to do a ritual over and over. I told you last week I don't believe that you have to forgive other people perfectly to go to heaven. I think you're already forgiven. Uh, the thing that I think balances this, well, first of all, I believe salvation. So, so Pastor, what do you think? All right, remember, this is my opinion. Everybody say, this is Pastor Max's opinion. Okay, so I could be wrong, and you don't have to agree with me, but uh, this is what I think. I think that Luther was right that we're saved by grace alone and faith alone. I think Ephesians 2.8 says that. By grace you are saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. But I think that 1 Peter 1 verse 5 actually says the same thing to people that are Christians. Let's, let's look at it real quickly. 1 Peter 1 verse 5. I think this is the scripture that balances these two bodies of scripture. It says, we are kept by the power of God. So who's, who's securing your salvation? Who is, who is making sure that you cross the finish line? God is. It says you're kept by the power of God, but you're kept through faith. So the power of God is grace, and faith is faith. So I believe that salvation comes initially by grace through faith, and I believe that salvation is maintained by grace through faith. So you, you let God save you initially, just keep letting Him save you. I think that's the point. Okay, just, just, just keep trusting Jesus. Don't trust your righteousness. Don't trust your ability to confess all your sin. Don't trust your ability to, to forgive everybody perfectly. Trust Jesus. Righteous acts do not make you a Christian. Do you know that? Righteous acts don't make you a Christian. You can do a whole bunch of righteous acts... And, and not be saved. Similarly, unrighteous acts do not make you an apostate. I don't believe that you can sin your way out of salvation. I'll explain that again in a second. So look on the back of your notes if you have notes. So I do believe in the necessity of maintaining faith in Christ. Why? Because the forgiveness of your sins, I've tried to stress this, the forgiveness of your sins, it's not some sort of random thing. It's, it's part of a contractual agreement that you have with God. And the, contract, the contractual agreement says all your sins are forgiven. Period. 
Even ones you haven't committed yet. Because forgiveness is a cord that stretches from eternity past to eternity future. Because Jesus, he, he died 2,000 years ago. And he hasn't died since. So that offering avails for all time. And so your, your, all your sins are forgiven. But what, what places you in that covenant where all your sins are forgiven? It's faith in Jesus. So I do believe that your, your forgiveness is contingent on, on faith in in Jesus, and so I believe that in the same way you can decide to accept Jesus, I believe you also can decide to reject him. Now, what does that mean? Well, let's just, let's just talk a couple things through really quickly before everybody stresses out, because <laughs> this is a really stressful topic, I understand. But Hebrews 10, let's just read this one really quickly. Hebrews 10, verses 8 through 14, say this, Above when he said, sacrifice and burnt offerings and offerings for sin, you, you wouldn't have, neither have you any pleasure of them. Then he said, lo, I come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first, he takes away the law that he might establish the second. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Christ once for how long? So do you need to get re-sanctified? You're sanctified once for all. That means you're set apart for the presence of God once for all. That's really encouraging. And every priest stands daily ministering in offerings and sacrifices which can never take away sins. Well, I'm not trying to be critical, but you know, there's, there's still priests that are doing rituals every day that don't actually take away anybody's sins. Because the blood of Jesus takes away sin once and for all. And, and there are still people that, that aren't going to the priest, but they're doing some other ritual. Every day, trying to have their sin forgiven. And so, you don't need to do that. It says, this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins, for how long? Forever. He sat down at the right hand of God from henceforth, expecting till his enemies should be made his footstool. For by one offering, he has perfected forever them that are sanctified. So, just put faith in Jesus, and you're sanctified, and you're protected forever. What happens if you sin? Well, 1 John 1, 7 says, if you walk in the light, that the blood of Jesus is continually cleansing you of all sin. Now, if you screw something up, I mean, tell Jesus about it. Because he knows about it anyway. But, but this whole deal where I've got to do it perfectly or I'm not forgiven, that doesn't make any sense. It's, it's doing a ritual to try to to try to get forgiven, and it puts the burden of salvation back on, on you. So I don't, I don't think you need to do that. However, uh, one of the main problems with sin, so it's not, I don't think, again, I don't think you can, like, just, you do enough sin, and then all of a sudden you're, you know, God says, well, that was it. <laughs> and that's how a lot of people think, and that's why they're, they're stressed, because it's like, well, have I reached the point? And, you know, uh, Jesus and, and Peter had this conversation about this where, where Peter said, how many times should I forgive my neighbor? Seven times? And he's like, you know, trying to, in one day, he's trying to impress Jesus with how many times he can forgive his neighbor for, for the same thing. It's like seven times. And Jesus said, well, no, it's, it's 70 times seven in the same day. Okay, now the point is not that if you do one sin 490 times, 
that on the 491st time you're going to go to hell. That's the, the, the point is that, God, that you're forgiven and that God is full of grace and mercy and you are not close to exhausting His mercy. Okay, you're not, you're not close. Buddy, read my lips. You are not close to exhausting the mercy of God. You might be close to exhausting your own tolerance for yourself. I've been mad at myself before, and I've said to God, how can you put up with me? And he's like, oh, you, you have no idea. You're, you're, not, you're not anywhere near reaching my level of, this ain't even a big deal, you know. I've tolerated much worse, <laughs> okay? But Hebrews 3.13 does say that, that sin hardens your heart towards God. Does it say that? And how many of you know that if, if you start doing a whole bunch of sin and you start turning your, your face from the Lord and you start focusing on other, other things, that it, it's harder to hear His voice and it's harder to respond. And so I think you're still saved. I don't think there's any problem. But, but the reality is that it could get to a place where you're so hard-hearted that you might make a terrible decision and decide to renounce your faith in Jesus. And so that's why I think it's wisdom. I mean, it's, it's wisdom not to sin anyway because sin's stupid and it'll kill you. But I don't, I don't want to get to a place where I'm spiritually weak. And, and you understand in this country, I mean, nobody's... I mean, on occasion, actually, this has happened, but usually in America, people aren't putting a gun to your head and asking you to renounce your faith. But you understand in other countries, that's, that's a, a normal reality. And so I want to stay spiritually strong because I, don't want to, I want to believe in Jesus and I want to keep confessing Jesus and I don't want to reject, reject Jesus. Okay? So now at this point, people are usually freaked out because somebody thinks that they have rejected Jesus. And so I just want to encourage you that Romans 1 makes it pretty clear that if you, if you actually were to do that, it seems like you would lose all desire for God. And so if, if you had done that, then, then you wouldn't be worried about it. You, would, you wouldn't be worried about hell and, and God and, and all these kinds of things. And, you know... Um, Questioning your faith, uh, a lot of people, you know, so many people have this testimony that they grew up in church and then they went off and were crazy for a while. How many of you understand that? And then, and then they came back to, to, to Jesus. How many of you have maybe done that? Okay, what, what's, the, what's, the, what's the deal with that? Well, I believe you're saved all that time, okay? It's, it's, it's not a problem. You, you, you got into immaturity. You got into sin. You got into confusion. That's not, that's not apostasy. That's, that's, you know, immaturity and, and foolishness. Um, often, you know, if, if, my kids, if my kids were to say to me, you know, Dad, you're not my dad anymore. Well, I mean, that would make me sad, but, but then I'd feed them dinner, and then I'd put them in bed, and then they'd wake up, and they'd still be my kid. You understand? Because, because I, I, they're not capable of making that decision, and I'm not going to hold them accountable for that. And Hebrews 6 does seem to indicate that you've got to reach a, you know, a kind of an intense level of maturity before you could even make that kind of decision. 
And so I don't, I don't think that very many people probably are at that place where, where they'd be held accountable for it. But, you know, if my kids turn 30 and then they file paperwork and they change their last name and they're like, I don't want anything to do with you, well, that's a different, that's a different deal. Okay? Um, so I just want to encourage you, because we're running out of time here, that, that I always have hope for everybody. And I don't think it's wisdom to ever think that somebody is lost beyond salvation. Amen. And, and the reason is, is once you do that, I mean, you quit praying for them. And, and, and if it's you, one of, the most one of the most destructive beliefs that can ever enter your heart is that you're damned to hell and there's nothing you can do about it. If you believe that, you're... You're going to live unrestrained. You're going to make all kinds of terrible decisions. And uh, it's simply not true. God is, is always willing to receive anybody back. If you want to come back, he'll take you back. Okay? Sometimes Hebrews 6 is used to teach that if you renounce your faith that you can't come back. It might mean that. I don't know. But I do know this, there's only one scripture that says that. And John Wesley believed that you could come back, even if you'd renounced your faith. So my whole thinking is, I don't necessarily know what that, what that passage of scripture means. There's some of our grace people that have said that it actually is talking about people that, that uh, never actually gave their life to Jesus. They were, they were Jews and they um, kind of dipped their toe in the church, but then they went back to the temple worship, and so it's not actually talking about renouncing your salvation. I don't know whether that's true or not. I've studied that verse as much as any verse in the Bible, but I do know this. I had a friend in high school that read that, and he thought that he'd renounced his salvation, and he was in all kinds of distress. And I had to spend, you know, I, spent, I took him to Pizza Hut, you know, we were like 15, <laughs> and I took him to Pizza Hut and tried to convince him, man, God still loves you. He's not mad at you. And I'm like, look, I'll prove it to you. And I did. I took him out to my car in the parking lot, and I said, now look, the Bible says you can be filled with the Holy Spirit, and you can speak in other tongues. How, do, you think, do you think if you did that, that, that God would do that to somebody that was an apostate? And he's like, well, No. And so I said, well, look, let's pray for you to be filled with the Holy Spirit and speak in other tongues. And fire God came in that car, and this kid spoke in other tongues and was filled with the Holy Spirit. And, you know, that caused some dissension in his family because they, they didn't believe in that, but I was zealous and 15, and so I was trying to help him. All right? So anyway, Romans 8, 16 says that the Spirit of God bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. So one of the main things the Holy Spirit does is tell you, you're God's kid. And you can learn to hear that. You can have assurance of your salvation. I do not believe in eternal insecurity. Okay, I, be I believe that you're as secure as you want to be secure. Just keep your faith in Jesus. And that's not a work, it's just, just keep believing in Jesus. Now what if you question things and doubt, and sometimes people, sometimes people will say, well, I, I don't believe in Jesus. 
Okay, well, again, sometimes I don't think you really mean that, and I think, I think that God's not holding you accountable for that. So, in any case, the important thing is to maintain hope for everybody. While there's breath, there's hope. So I don't, I don't busy myself trying to figure out whether or not somebody's saved. That's, a, that's above my pay grade. I just try to encourage people to put faith in Jesus. Okay? So how do you, how do you know you're saved? Okay, Romans 10, 9, and 10 says that if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. How many of you believe that Jesus died for your sins? You believe Jesus rose from the grave? You've made some kind of decision to to serve him? Okay, you're saved. So calm down. Okay, so, but keep believing in Jesus, right? Okay, is everybody all right? All right, well, I hope that wasn't, I was trying to not make that a downer. I know it's a heavy, serious, so yeah, so it's not, it's not, do you know it's not hard to get saved? It's not hard to stay saved either. It's not your, it's not your effort. It's not your goodness. It's Jesus. And you might say, well, I don't, I don't, I'm worried. Well, just, just put your faith back in Jesus. Just trust Jesus. All right, let's all stand up. If my prayer team could come down here. I thought this was an awesome service, personally. I don't, I don't know about my part, but the, the worship was really good. So anyway, I'm going to pray for everybody. If you need healing, God's a healer. He, he wants to heal you. We had Somebody was telling me they prayed for their co-workers back and got, they got healed and Don over here, he, he's not here, but anyway, he got healed of a neck problem and his knee was healed. And anyway, if you need healing, come down. Zach prayed for somebody and their leg grew out. Praise Jesus. So it was Diana. Hallelujah. And somebody else too, right? So if you, yeah, well, praise Jesus. So anyway, if you need something from God, come down. We'll pray with you. I'm going to pray for everybody. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Thank you for your mercy and your tenderness and your kindness. And Lord, we just put our faith in you and we trust you. We thank you that you're keeping us by your supernatural power and grace. And we love you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.